African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Good morning, Africa. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Remember, you're listening to African Dialogue, and uh, you are with us right here on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa, and on DSTV on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. You can stream us on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're coming back to this China and Africa relationship story. It seems we keep coming back to it. According to reports, uh, concerns arising in Zambia that they could be facing a colonization of sorts by the Chinese, which the Zambian government has denied. The Chinese government has invested heavily in Zambia through its state-owned companies like uh, Aviation Industry Corporation of China, Sino-Hydro Corporation, China Hen uh, Corporation, and others. But these companies do not uh, uh, form joint ventures with the Zambian companies. Some critics uh, believe that the ideal situation is that Zambia as a host country is supposed to benefit through gaining access to skills, transfer, creation of quality, employment, and more. And also there's this story whereby Zambia has been actually said to be colonized, whereby its naval base has been actually taken over by Chinese. Not quite sure how true is that, because it has been refuted by the Zambian government. But hey, let's look at this particular issue. Joined on uh, uh, the line uh, by uh, uh, Shingaya Mutizwa Mangiza, who is a doctor joining us from the Political Sciences Department at the University of the Western Cape. We also have Dr. Samson Lembani, who is the program coordinator for Malawi and Zambia, uh, the Conrad Adenier Foundation, which promotes regional integration, rule of law, democracy, among other things. Well, let me start uh, this conversation uh, with you, Dr. Uh, Shingai, in terms of looking at this particular issue. I'm looking at a story here, and I've seen it before, whereby there's this huge allegation that uh, Zambia's naval base could be taken over by China and also the fact that uh, Zambia has been indebted uh, to China for a very long time. Uh, Should Zambia be worried around these issues of debt alongside uh, uh, China and its control over its resources? Thank you so much. Yes, um, there has been this uh, perception, uh, as you rightly mentioned, uh, in the media of um, you know, this uh, perception of uh, perceived debt uh, trap uh, diplomacy that uh, China has been embarking on and the idea that uh, Zambia is the, you know, is the latest country to fall victim to it. Um, I think the truth of the matter is that it's often very difficult uh, to tell, particularly as it concerns things like uh, naval bases and whatnot. We know, for instance, that uh, any sort of um, activities uh, or negotiations, you know, bilateral negotiations that take place between two separate governments 
usually tend to be shrouded in secrecy. So to, to that extent, I think in terms of determining the validity of ver- or veracity uh, of that particular, uh, that particular instance, uh, I think it would be quite difficult. But I would just like to add that um, the recent report by Africa Confidential mm. um, had actually cited uh, this idea that um, the Chinese uh, were actually intent on acquiring the Zambian electricity supply company uh, together with uh, the Kenneth Cal- together with gaining control of the Kenneth Kaunda International Airport um, in re- you know uh, in response to a default uh, you know over loans you know which uh, were given. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I think to this, so I think you know in as much as the, the first story you mentioned is difficult to determine. I think um, we should, there should be, an, uh, you know, there should be some concern, I think, and perhaps maybe, uh, you know, there should be, you know, calls for greater transparency uh, in regards to this. We know that Minister of Finance, Manakwatwe, and the Minister of Information have mm. released statements uh, refuting that, as you mentioned, but um, not much detail around, uh, you know, the particular deals, particularly surrounding the debt of these strategic assets has been released. So. I'd say that perhaps more information needs to be provided to allay fears, I think. Okay, let me bring in Dr. Samson in terms of uh, this uh, discussion. Uh, what are your thoughts in terms of uh, the situation uh, that African countries find themselves? Let's look at Zambia specifically because there's a lot of stories that keep rising around Zambia specifically because of the long relationship it has with China. Uh, just uh, recently at the Forum for China-Africa Corporation, they secured a 30 uh, million uh, interest-free loan um, that's 30 million dollars and a 30 million grant at that particular gathering Uh, what are your thoughts is this healthy for a country such as zambia have such a long-standing um relationship with a very much powerful uh, leading country such as china Uh, dr lambani hi good morning and thank you for having me on the panel one small point of correction my portfolio work wise uh, has been involving Malawi and Zimbabwe, but not necessarily Zambia. However, I am I'm quite prepared to mention uh, a few things regarding the question at hand. So, I, I, I suggest a point of departure for me is that we must have a, co- a common understanding that in trade we have only interests and not necessarily the friendships. Africans celebrate friendships and at the expense sometimes. Uh, of not being able to focus on what are the interests of my other partner. Mm. And in this regard, African countries are rushing to China because their interest is to get money from somebody who does not impose political conditionalities on whatever aid they give to you. So the attractiveness of Chinese loans to most African countries is because the Chinese are not asking for democratic or good governance conditionalities on the money they give them as contrasted from the support they have been receiving from the West. Um, But I think beyond that point, the question arises, what is Africa borrowing for? That Zambia, for example, Mm -hmm. borrows and is failing to pay, Mm -hmm. and therefore certain strategic um, assets begin to become um, issues uh, under contestation, as we discussed now. So my point is, if we understand what we are borrowing for, 
well, I would probably ex- extend. Are we borrowing for consumption or investment? Are we investing in cat- catalytic, catalytic aspects uh, or for infrastructure to, to, to bolster productivity and economic uh, activity? Because if, if we were borrowing for those reasons, then we should be able to, uh, on the assumption that those type of activities would bring income to the government through taxes or whatsoever, they should be able to service those loans. And my argument, therefore, goes on to say that many African countries are borrowing for consumption or we are borrowing for aspects that have no economic gains out of it. For example, you borrow money to build stadiums, and there's a one match after six months. Mm. And the stadiums are so big that the, the maintenance costs cannot be covered by two, three, but by the collections they make from mm. two or three matches, for sure, example. Sure. They also sometimes borrow to build presidential villas, to build expensive hotels where no one is sleeping. I mean, if somebody wants a five-star hotel, would they really have to come to Africa to find a five-star hotel? Or if they're rich enough, they'll go to Paris and find a real five-star hotel. Or sometimes they're, they're borrowing to build parliaments, which they themselves are failing to, to build using their own money. And, 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 and as a result, we are, we are borrowing into infrastructure that has no economic necessity. We don't borrow to improve our agricultural mechanization of farming. We are not borrowing, borrowing to invest in processing plants for value adding. We are not borrowing to improve our energy productivity, including solar power generation. We are, we are borrowing for things that are semi or fully consumption related. Hence, the failure to to pay back. But you know what? Zambia is, is, is claimed to be a Christian nation. Mm. And can I quote you something from scripture here? Proverbs 22, 7 says, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. What we begin to see in Zambia is, is simply true to this. If you keep borrowing, you become a slave to the one who mm. borrows you mm. their mm. money. Because the last point I want to make in this first round is that do we pay attention to the detail in the conditions and so. the terms of these borrowing instruments. Mm. Do we, are we able to, to read the finest details? Do we pay the, the necessary diligence to the finest detail that, for example, some of the repayment conditions entail that you are going to pay back via your natural endowments? or some, you will lose some of your national resources or natural resources um, if you do not manage to meet this. Are we able to say we want to go back and conserve first if we want to risk making this as our surety? Well, very, very interesting viewpoints uh, and strong points coming from both our guests on the line. That was the voice of Dr. Samson Lambani, who is uh, joining us uh, from the Conrad and the Near uh, Foundation on the line. And we also have Dr. Shingai Mutizo Mangiza, who's uh, from the Political Sciences Department at the University of uh, the Western Cape. A lot of contested ideas in the first round of this conversation. Let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll really unpack some of the issues that were highlighted by both of our experts on the line. Are you looking for opportunities to network with Africa's business leaders? Do you want to engage with movers and shakers and participate in master classes presented by industry experts? Then, here's your personal invitation to attend the 4th Annual Africa Women Innovation and Entrepreneurship Forum and Exhibition taking place on the 8th 
and 9th of November in Cape Town, South Africa. If you want to register, then visit www.awiefforum.org. Again, www.awiefforum.org. If you cannot make the event, then don't worry. You can follow it through live broadcasts on Channel Africa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Remember, we are on DSTV Channel 802 on the audio bouquet in South Africa and some SADC countries who can get access to us. And remember, you can also find us on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, we're looking at the relationship between China and Zambia. There have been some concerns, a lot of reports contradicting each other, some saying that uh, um, Zambia is highly at, uh, indebted to uh, China and it's a rising concern. And also there are those who are saying, hey, look, this relationship is very bilateral and China has the interest of Zambia and the rest of the continent at heart. Uh, but that's what we're going to be debating. Does China actually have uh, Africa's um, uh, in good intentions at heart and uh, good uh, um, hopes for, for the continent and uh, different point views that have been coming from both of our guests. Uh, Dr. Shingaile, let me come to you in terms of what was highlighted there by Dr. Samson Lambani in terms of uh, uh, you know, being indebted to a very strong country such as China. We also know that we're seeing, as was highlighted by uh, Dr. Uh, Lambani, the fact that uh, China sometimes is actually positioned in very strategic um, institutions uh, within uh, Zambia's uh, um, infrastructural landscape. We know that a Chinese firm Start Times owns around 60% of uh, Topstar and uh, ZNBC, a Zambian state broadcaster. Uh, it also owns 40%. So we're seeing also uh, that particular element whereby China, when you look at South Africa, for instance, has actually loaned South Africa uh, when it comes to its ESCOM uh, and indebtedness and has actually created kind of uh, a cushion for the country when it comes to our electrification uh, processes and problems in the country. So China is very strategic where it invests its money and it usually invests in its money in very powerful uh, institutions or um, uh, parastatals in these countries. Yes, that, that is true. Um, it's good that you've mentioned the issue of um, ESCOM and also, again, as I mentioned earlier, the issue of the uh, ZESCO in Zambia. It seems that uh, China is of the view that, uh, you know, there is this issue of energy security, uh, I think largely within the, you know, southern and central African region. And um, this is not a new issue. I mean, um, for years uh, there have been discussions. Uh, about improving, uh, you know, the energy supply. And, um, you know, there's always been debates as to how this financing will take place. Now, whether China is actually entering the sphere or entering the fray with a view to actually being the key financier towards this goal of greater energy security within the region, um, this is yet unclear. But 
the fact that it is focusing, for instance, if we look at South Africa, if we look at the special economic zone in Limpopo, for instance, which uh, they intend to spend, I think, is it 130 billion rand uh, within that special economic zone, uh, one of the key installations will be the creation of a power supply, uh, a, a power, you know, an electricity um, plant. Mm. Um, it seems to me that that intimates towards that. Um, again, if we look in the case of Zambia, we look at what they've been doing in regards to the Kafue Gorge, mm. and we also look uh, to the issue of the Kariba North Bank Extension Project. Again, it seems to be this idea you know, of trying to bolster uh, you know, energy security. Now, as to whether this is going to be beneficial to the countries involved, uh, South Africa and Zambia, I think the jury is still out to that. But... Certainly what we can say is that um, it does uh, raise questions, I suppose, in regards to policy making vis-a-vis um, energy security. If, for instance, um, you know, control over these um, strategic assets or these strategic um, state-owned entities, you know, uh, ends up being appropriated, you know, um, by, for, by a foreign government, then... To what extent can we still, you know, uh, can we still mm. talk about um, economic sovereignty? For so, so. We know energy supply and, uh, you know, is crucial, uh, particularly when it comes to the economy. I mean, production, you know, uh, is, you know, is highly dependent upon this. So whether you're talking about manufacturing, whether you're talking about, uh, you know, processing and whatnot, I mean, you know, these become very crucial things. So I think... To that extent, you know, uh, certainly um, China, you're, you're correct in saying that China has been very strategic in selecting the particular areas or sectors in within, within which it uh, invests. And I think for us, it will probably become more apparent, I think, in, in years to come, you know, what their actual strategy is. But as I said, I suspect it has to do with energy security within the broader um, southern mm-hmm. uh, and central African region. All right, let's bring that point back to you, uh, Dr. Lambani. Your, your thoughts around what Dr. Mutizo Mangiza is highlighting there, very elaborate in terms of speaking of the different, um, you know, um, institutions or organizations or state um, um, enterprises that are at stake here. Um, how do you contextualize this, especially the fact that Africa has been speaking even currently around the issues of decolonizing economies? Um, thank you. I, I, I go back to the fact that my colleague and I have the same perception with regard to the issue at hand. I totally yeah. agree with him um, to the extent that China is very clear about what they want to get from Africa. And it's very evident nothing is concealed. China is interested in Africa's resources. China is interested not in the least important of Africa's endowments. They are interested in strategic endowments, in strategic resources, uh, in strategic services. And therefore, they are not wasting too much time with the poor farmer in the village. They are looking to a strategic uh, point, for example, as ZESCO. Uh, they, they are looking to a strategic aspect of Zambia, for example, as the naval base. Um, they are strategic in energy production, such that if you are not able to pay back your loan, 
they will be generating the energy that you as a nation must be buying from them. <laughs> and, and you cannot... Mm. You cannot continue to pretend that this is the second, probably the most weird type of colonization of of the age that Africa finds itself in. But let me be very quick to mention Mm. that I cannot really criticize China. I'm not that critical about China because in economics, rational choice theory says everyone is self-interested. China has not concealed her interests. She is self-interested. She is interested not to give Africa money. They'll give you a loan, but that loan would be on paper. They'll bring labor to execute the project you want to. They'll bring labor from China, and that labor may include prisoners that they bring, they fly them into our countries to work on projects supported by China. They'll supply all the materials. Whilst you watch and you, you, your own villagers around it will come and make a ring watching Chinese prisoners constructing a stadium mm. in some African country. Mm. And all of these things are not things China is going back and, and, and doing contrary to the agreement. There is a signed agreement, a contract, an arrangement, a bilateral, whatever, whatever um, a diplomatic language we give to it. The question remains for me. Are my African bureaucrats spending enough time to read the minute detail and the subtext of these agreements and beginning to question some of them and saying, look, at least for labor alone, we must use our laborers. We have a lot of excess labor, people that are doing nothing on the streets. Mm. And can we not use them to to afford something small as they can do? Mm. No, we don't bargain about like that. When we go to China this con- to sign to these contracts in China, we are also going with our shopping list well, as an officer. So we go there, we spend uh, most of the time uh, thinking, where am I buying bastards, sure. than to read the contracts. I mean, mm. two years ago I was involved in a heated discussion mm. of African diplomats in Brussels mm. and EU commissioners. The African diplomats were fighting so much. You, you Europeans are not coming to Africa for our interests. You come with your, your own considered interests and blah, blah, blah. And I was mm. listening as the moderator mm. of that discussion, 40 diplomats. Mm. And sitting in that meeting, and listening to this discussion we're having now, one, one, stream, one line is very clear. Africa assumes someone is sitting in some foreign capital with a good intentions for Africa, and they're coming here to develop Africa. Mm. Now, I, my studies are all in development management, and, and I'm a development theorist, I'm a, I'm a development scholar. Yeah. But I, I still remain with the idea that no one is sitting in Europe or in Asia or in China mm. to develop Africa. If Africa does not stand up to developing its own prior development priorities herself, All right. how they want to achieve that. All right, Dr. Lembani, let me take a quick break. I want to just come back to that because there's a lot of arguments that uh, China is probably the best option when you see our historical relationships with other uh, European nations because of the fact that they offer interest-free loans uh, to uh, the African continent. Uh, we'll look at that uh, uh, viewpoint after this break. Okay. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. 
Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. You are listening to Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us. It's 32 minutes past 11 o'clock. That's Central African time since we are broadcasting from Johannesburg, South Africa. I'm sure in your own respective country on the African continent, it depends where you are. You're in a different time zone. But thank you for giving us your time here on African Dialogue. From Monday to Thursday, we look at the big continental conversations that are taking place. And we try uh, to contextualize them. We try to see different different angles of different stories and try to unpack it for you. If you're just joining us now, we've got Dr. Shingai Mutizwa Mangiza from the Political Sciences Department at the University of the Western Cape. Uh, joining him on this debate is Dr. Samson Mbani, who is the program coordinator for Malawi and Zimbabwe at the Conrad and the Nier uh, Foundation. Uh, and uh, they're both uh, giving us their insights uh, on this particular issue on uh, are we seeing a new colonization from China and it seems uh, very very strongly they're very uh, critical of uh, uh, this uh, uh, relationship that China has actually uh, given itself to when it comes to the African continent. Let me uh, stick with you uh, Dr. Lembani before I come to uh, Dr. Mutizwa Mangiza. Earlier on I was highlighting the point that uh, uh, you know the relationship that we've had with uh, other uh, international monetary organizations has not been very good uh, for the continent. Uh, we've seen very much uh, a deindustrialization of the continent due to our commitments to uh, the internetry and international monetary funds and the world banks of this world. We've seen also uh, really a bad space when it comes to subsidization in the agricultural sectors. So uh, it seems Africa has seen this and has opted for China due to the fact that they don't really come with the conditions that uh, uh, these uh, uh, organizations that I've mentioned have actually uh, come with. And rather, they come with a different package uh, offering interest-free loans, for example. Yes, I think the argument about um, uh, the option to China on the basis that China offers interest-free loans um, is only part of the story. I think the argument and the, the, must be extended to question, have we bothered to establish what is the collateral, collateral involved? Um, what is the collateral damage that one is standing at risk for? Uh, are, we, are we having this as the best mutually beneficial relationship or arrangement where somebody tells you, I'll give you a loan without interest? And is that is that enough? And to convince you that this is not has no exploitative implications or dimensions. Um, Africa, in my in my understanding, and Zambia, and so I do not want to do too much on Zambia because when you look 
when you look to the profile or data that you can also find readily on World Economic Forum, uh, you'll find that there are 20 destinations of African investment that top the, the Chinese club of countries they are going to. Nigeria is top there with 404 projects that the Chinese have invested in. South Africa second. Zambia is on the third. There's Ethiopia, Egypt, Congo, and the line goes down. Uh, small countries like Malawi don't even appear there uh, as the top 20. Cameroon mm-hmm. with 60 projects. But the Chinese know firstly where they want to go and they have done their background work to know what we want to gain from there, what is going to be attractive to them for us to penetrate that market. And we are going to China because they claim their loan is interest-free. Not enough, like I said earlier. One of the reasons why Africans rush to China is because their loans or any any support they get, whether it's, it's a loan or a grant, has no political uh, um, um, experiences. There is no demand for good governance. There is no demand for rule of law. There is no demand for transparency. The Chinese simply say, "Look, we give you the money, and this is what we are going to do." And not necessarily because their money is interest-free. And and therefore, Africa's indebtedness to to China should also be looked at how much local debts is Africa accumulating. You remember that in the year 2000, there was all of this euphoria about mm-hmm. debt cancellation. So, Many of these countries were debt-free mm-hmm. after the year 2000. Today, mm-hmm. they're so burdened with both international as well as internal debts that you can't explain where this money is going to because their people are becoming poorer and poorer. Their local industries mm-hmm. are shutting down more than opening up. Mm-hmm. And there's unemployment growing, yet you are borrowing every day. And that is why I'm asking the question, are we borrowing to produce or we are borrowing to consume? Okay, let's let's come to Dr. Mutuiza Mangiza. So where do we go as an African continent to have the best deal? That has been the real question here. Well, t- t- to be perfectly honest, I think the our key emphasis uh, in regards to China should really be about how we can um, take advantage of the huge uh, market that China is. I mean, we have to also remember that China is a country that is comprises 1.3 billion people. Now, when you think about that in market terms, I mean, that's a huge market. I mean, that's mm, absolutely mm, phenomenal. Mm. So I think perhaps, and I, and I, I tend to agree with um, Dr. Lambani here, that our bureaucrats, or perhaps our policymakers in government really need to think of innovative ways within which we can get better access to the Chinese market. How can we strengthen our exports, for instance? How can we strengthen or improve our trade volumes uh, with China? You know, um, most recently, and um, you know, as we know, last year there was this uh, huge concern, uh, particularly here in South Africa, about Agoa and the idea that um, you know South Africa was going to lose out, you know, uh, you know, in regards to you know uh, its access, you know, to American to markets, markets, you know, yeah. etc. <laughs> and this predominantly, I think, uh, you know, has been an issue affecting other African countries, you know, about gaining greater access to the American market, you know. And yet I think that if we were to actually, you know, think uh, outside of the box and think that, you know, China as an emerging economy, uh, and not just China per se, we're looking at other countries uh, such as India, we're looking at countries such as Brazil, you know, countries 
whereby you know their own uh, middle classes uh, have been growing and the appetite for consumption uh, for commodities is also growing, that we should also be thinking that way. So in regards to China, I would think that that should really be our focus. How do we actually produce uh, commodities uh, and services, you know, that could, you know, make us make the best or make the most uh, out of that particular uh, out of that particular relationship. Mm, mm. So I think our focus should be on that. How do we um, gain access, and how do we best, ex- sure, you know, uh, sure. exploit that? Yeah. You know, I think that's also a topic for another time. That issue of, you know, Africa accessing um, international markets, and I think that's a very interesting point that you're highlighting there because we usually do that in a very uh, premature manner, Dr. Mutiza Mangiza. But let me get final sentiments in our last five minutes uh, from both of you. Let's start with you, uh, Dr. Limbani. What are your final sentiments to this conversation? I think um, three points. One, Africa must get itself organized. The more we speak about Africa, we sound like we're speaking to one nation or one continent. But this is a country of small, small nations, and the Chinese take advantage of that. They're dealing with us as small nations and not as a bloc. If, if Africa becomes more integrated in, ter- in, ter- in terms of economic integration, to be able to bargain for, for, for uh, economic space uh, as a block within SADC or within African Union, then you, you would be dealing with much more consolidated interests that are protected by the unity of Africa together, but not as a one, one particular country that is bargaining with the so-called mighty economic China, or the, mm-hmm. the, the, the economically united China. Mm. So if Africa could get its act together when they meet as African Union or whatever, that would probably strengthen their bargaining power. Secondly, it would be important for Africans to begin to identify what are our strategic resources that we want to protect when we make concessions and, 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 and availing ourselves for, for um, uh, dead uh, or, or loan uh, um, surety, for example. And, and if Africans would begin to identify this we can't do, we must make sure we have joint ventures between the Chinese and African uh, uh, investors or entrepreneurs within our countries, then we might protect some of these things where we find a foreigner taking over completely a company which is in a very strategic space, economically speaking. Lastly, Mm. um, I think we must prioritize that we are borrowing for investment. And this investment is in the both long-term, short-term, or medium-term to long-term. Not simply for political expediency, something we can show the voters for, that we have done this road, quick road, which is going to wear out in six months because we, we use borrowed money. And, and, and with that goes with what are the attendant cost implications? What is the opportunity cost? Yes, we got this loan, but are we going to, to be able to service that loan? Mm. And what will be the sources of us okay. getting that money service? All right. Let me get uh, the final uh, sentiments from Dr. Mutizwa Mangiza. Uh, what are your final statements, doctor? Well, uh, my final statements are that uh, what we should be looking forward to and I, what I think we as Africans uh, should insist in our engagement with uh, Chinese investors is, one, an emphasis on skills transfer. Uh, I think there's a perception that, uh, you know, as Dr. Lambani said, that we have a lot of Chinese companies here and they come with uh, expatriates who end up doing the work. So I would argue that a greater uh, emphasis on skills transfer so that our local 
uh, our local workers and, um, you know, professional class also gain new and crucial skills in order to develop our economy. Mm. Uh, two, I would say um, a, diversity, a diversification of investment. I, and by that, I mean a diversification in other areas of the economy. Right now, there's been a focus on infrastructure projects and uh, financial services. But I think that in order to uplift our economies, we should also insist that, you know, um, there should be a greater investment in other uh, areas of the economy. Such as agriculture, for example. Yes, agriculture sure. in particular. Because mm. um, food security, as we know, um, actually, incidentally, uh, if you can remember in 2008, uh, that actually affected the food prices here. Because remember, the demand for rice and uh, whatnot and consumption had grown in China. So I think that would be particularly crucial for us, developing our agriculture. Third, and lastly, I would say transparency. Uh, when it actually comes to um, the negotiation of these particular uh, bilateral deals and engagements and the inclusion of broader stakeholders. That way, at least we can ensure uh, that we are making the best, you know, the best deals, the best decisions, and that, you know, um, you know, we know exactly what it is we are getting and not being shocked by the fine print later. Mm. So those mm. would be the key things that I would, uh, I would emphasize. Fantastic conversation. Thank you, gents, for giving us your time. We really appreciate it. We're going to put this on podcast as soon as uh, the program is over. So thank you both for your contribution. Uh, that was the voice of Dr. Shingai Mutizo Mangiza from the Political Sciences Department at the University of the Western Cape. Dr. Samson Lembani was also with us, program coordinator for Malawi and Zimbabwe at the Conrad uh, Adenayer Foundation. Foundation. Thank you both for giving us your insights. We really, really appreciate it as Channel Africa. It has been a pleasure. Bye-bye.